Jesse Owens incident. As we both know, Cecil was a non hand on Himmel Street when Rudy performed his act of childhood infamy. When she looked back though, it felt like she had actually been there. In her memory, she had somehow become a member of Rudy's imaginary audience. Nobody else mentioned it, but Rudy certainly made up for that. So much that when Liesel came to recollect her story, the Jiseo Wins incident was as much a part of it as everything she witnessed firsthand. It was 1936, the Olympics, Hitler's games. Jesse Owens had just completed the 4200 meter relay and won his fourth gold medal. Talk that he was subhuman because he was black and Hitler's refusal to shake his hand was totally around the world. Even the most racist Germans were amazed with the efforts of Owens and word of his feat slipped through the cracks. No one was more impressed than Rudy Steiner. Everyone in his family was crowded together in their family room when he slipped out and made his way into the kitchen. He pulled some charcoal from the stove and gripped it in the smallness of his hands. Now, there was a smile. He was ready. He smeared the charcoal on, nice and thick, till he was covered in black. Even his hair received a once over. In the window, the boy grinned almost maniac at his reflection. And in his shorts and tank top, he quietly abducted his older brother's bike and pedaled it up the street, heading for Hubert Owen. In one of his pockets, he had hidden a few pieces of extra charcoal in case some of it wore out later. In Liesel's mind, the moon was sun into the sky that night. Clouds were stitched around it. The rusty bike crumbled to a halt at Hubert Orwell fence line and Rudy climbed over. He landed on the other side and trotted wearily up toward the beginning of the hundred. Enthusiastically, he conducted an awkward regimen of stretches. He dug starting holes into the dirt. Waiting for his moment, he paced around, gathering concentration under the darkness sky. With the moon and the clouds watching, tightly. Owens is looking good, he began to come indeed. This could be his greatest victory ever. He shook the imaginary hands of the other athletes and wished them luck even though he knew they didn't have a chance. The starters signaled them forward. A crowd materialized around every square inch of Hubert Owens' circumference. They were all calling out one thing. They were chanting Rudy Steiner's name, and that name was Jesse Owens. All fell silent. His bare feet gripped the soil. He could feel it holding on between his toes. At the request of the star- starter, he raised to crouching position, and the gun clipped a hole in the night. For the first third of the race, it was pretty even, but it was only a matter of time. before the charcoal Owens drew clear and streaked away. Owens in front, the boy's shrill voice cried as he ran down the empty track. Straight toward the uproarious applause of Olympic glory. He could even feel the tape break in two across his chest as he burst through it in first place. The 
fastest man alive. It was only on his victory lap that things turned sore. Among the crowd, his father was standing at the finish line like the boogeyman. Or at least, the boogeyman in a suit. As previously mentioned, Rudy's father was a tailor. He was rarely seen on the street without a suit and tie. On this occasion, it was only the suit and a disheveled coat. Persist loss, he said to his son when he showed up in all of his charcoal glory. What the hell is going on here? The crowd vanished. A breeze sprang up. I was asleep in my chair when Kurt noticed you were gone. Everyone's out looking for you. Mr. Steiner was a remarkably polite man under normal circumstances. Discovering one of his children smeared charcoal black on a summer evening was not what he considered normal circumstances. The boy is crazy, he muttered, although he conceded that his, with six kids, something like this was bound to happen. At least one of them had to be a bad egg. Right now, he was looking at it, waiting for an explanation. Well? Rudy panted, bending down and placing his hands on his knees. I was being Jesse Owens, he answered as though it was the most natural thing on earth to be doing. There was even something implicit in his tone that suggested something along with the lines of, what the hell does it look like? The tone vanished, however, when he saw the sleep deprivation brittled under his father's eyes. Jesse Owens? Mr. Steiner was the type of man who was very wooden. His voice was angular and true. His body was tall and heavy, like oak. His hair was like splinters. What about him? You know, Papa, the black magic one? I'll give you black magic. He caught his son's ear between his thumb and forefinger. Rudy winced. Ow, that really hurts. Does it? The father was more concerned with the clammy texture of charcoal contaminating his fingers. He covered everything, didn't he? He thought. It's even in his ears, for God's sake. Come on! On the way home, Mr. Steiner decided to talk politics with the boy as best as he could. Only in the years ahead would Rudy understand it all, when it was too late to bother understanding anything. The, contradic- the Contradictory Politics of Alex Steiner Point 1. He was a member of the Nazi party, but he did not hate the Jews or anyone else, for that matter. Point 2. Secretly, though, he couldn't help feeling a percentage of relief or was gladness when Jewish shop owners were put out of business. Propaganda informed him that it was only a matter of time before a plague of Jewish tailors showed up and stole his customers. Point 3. But did that mean they should be driven out completely? Point four. His family. Surely, he had to do whatever he could to support them. If that meant being in the party, it meant being in the party. Point five. Somewhere, far down, there was an itch in his heart. But he made it a point not to scratch it. He was afraid of what might come leaking out. They walked around a few corners into, onto Himmel Street and Alex said, Son, you can't go around painting yourself black. You hear? 
Rudy was interested and confused. The moon wasn't done now, free to move, and the rise and fall and trip of the, on the body's face, making him nice and murky like his thoughts. Why not, Papa? Because they will take you away. Why? Because you shouldn't want to be like black people or Jewish people or anyone who is not us. Who are Jewish people? You know my oldest customer, Mr. Kaufman? Where we bought your shoes? Yes. Well, he's Jewish. I didn't know that. Do you have to pay to be Jewish? Do you need a license? No, Rudy. Mr. Stainer was steering the bike with one hand and Rudy with the other. He was having trouble steering the conversation. He still hadn't relinquished the hold on his son's earlobe. He had forgotten about it. It's like you're German or Catholic. Oh, is Jesse Owens Catholic? I don't know. He tripped on a bike pedal then and released the ear. They walked on in silence for a while until Rudy said, I just wish I was like Jesse Owens, Papa. This time, Mr. Steiner placed his hand on Rudy's head and explained, I know, son, but you have got beautiful blonde hair and big, safe blue eyes. You should be happy with that. Is that clear? But nothing was clear. Rudy understood nothing. And that night was the prelude of things to come. Two and a half years later, the Kaufman shoe shop was reduced to broken glass and all the shoes were flung abroad a truck in their boxes. side of sandpaper. People have defining moments, I suppose, especially when they are children. For some, it's Jesse Owens' incident. For others, it's a moment of bedwetting hysteria. It was late May 1939, and the night had been like most others. Mama shook her iron fist, Baba was out, Liesel cleaned the front door, and watched the Himmel Street sky. Earlier, there had been a parade. The brown-shirted extremist members of the NSDAP, otherwise known as the Nazi Party, had marched down Munich Street. Their banners bore proudly, their faces held high as if on sticks. Their voices were full of song, culminating in a roaring rendition of Germany over everything. As always, they were clapped. They were spurred on as they walked to who knows where. People on the streets stood and watched, some with straight armed salutes, other with hands that burned from applause. Some kept faces that were contorted by pride and rally, like fraudula. And then there were scatterings of old men out, like Alex Steiner, who stood like a human-shaped block of wood, clapping slow and dutiful. On the footpath, Liesel stood with her papa and Rudy. Hans Huberman wore a face with sheets pulled down. 
some crunched numbers. In 1933, 90% of Germans showed unflinching support for Adolf Hitler. At least 10% who didn't. Hans Huberman belonged to the 10%. There was a reason for that. In the night, Liesel dreamed like she always did. At first, she saw the brown shirts marching. But soon enough, they led her to a train. And the usual discovery awaited. Her brother was staring at her. When she woke up screaming, Liesel knew immediately that on this occasion, something had changed. A smell leaked out from under the sheets, warm and sickly. At first, she tried convincing herself that nothing had happened. But as Papa came closer and he held her, she cried and admitted the fact in his ear. Papa, she whispered. Papa. And that was all. He could probably smell it. He lifted her gently from the bed and carried her into the washroom. The moment came a few minutes later. We take the sheets off, Papa said. And when he reached under and pulled the fabric, something loosened and landed with a thud. A black book with silver writing on it came hurtling out and landed on the floor between the tall man's feet. He looked down at it. He looked at the girl, who timidly shrugged. Then he read the title with concentration aloud. The Grave Digger's Handbook. So that's what it's called, Lisa thought. A patch of silence stood among them now. The man, the girl, the book. He picked it up and spoke soft as a cotton. A to A conversation. Is this yours? Yes, Papa. Do you want to read it? Again, yes, Papa. A tired smile, metallic eyes, melted. Well, we'd better read it then. Four years later, when she came to write in the basement, two thoughts struck Liesel about the trauma of petting the bed. First, she felt extremely lucky that it was Papa who discovered the book. Fortunately, when the sheets had been washed previously, Rosa had made Liesel strip the bed and make it up. And be quick about it, Charlotte. Does it look like we have got all day? Second, she was clearly proud of Hans Huberman's part in her education. You wouldn't think it, she wrote, but it was not so much the school who helped me to read. It was Papa. People think he's not so smart, and it's true that he doesn't read too fast. But I would soon learn that words and writing actually saved his life once. Or at least, words and a man who taught him the accordion. First things first. Hans Huberman said that night, he washed the sheets and hung them first. Now, he said upon his return, let's get this midnight class started. The yellow light was a live dust. Liesel sat on cold, clean sheets and as she waited, the thought of bedwetting prodded her. But she was going to read. She was going to read the book. The excitement stood up in her. Visions of ten-year-old reading genius was set alight. It was only if that was easy. If only it was that easy. To tell you the truth, Papa explained up front, I am not such a good reader myself. But it shouldn't matter that he read slowly. If anything, it might have helped that his own reading pace was slower than average. 
perhaps it would cause less frustration in coping with the girl's lack of ability still initially hans appeared a little uncomfortable holding the book and looking troubled when he came over and sat next to her bed on, next to her on the bed he leaned back his lips angling over the side he examined the book again and dropped it on the blanket now why would a nice girl like you want to read such a thing again lisa shrugged had the apprentice been reading the complete works of gore or any other such luminary that was what would have sat in front of them she attempted to explain i when it was sitting in the snow and the soft spoken words fell off the side of the bed empty into the floor like powder papa knew what to say though he always knew what to say he ran a hand through his sleepy hair and said well promise me one thing he said if i die anytime soon you you make sure they bury me right she nodded with great sincerity no skipping chapter 6 or step 4 in chapter 9 he laughed as it as did the bed better well i'm glad that settled we can get on with it now he adjusted his position and his bones creaked like itchy floorboards the fun begins amplified by the still of the night the book opened a gust of wind looking back lisa could tell exactly what her papa was thinking when he scanned the first page of the grave digger's handbook as he realized the difficulty of the text he was clearly aware that such a book was hardly ideal there were words in there that he would have trouble with himself not to mention the morbidity of the subject as for the girl there was a sudden desire to read it that she didn't even attempt to understand on some level perhaps she wanted to make sure her brother was buried right whatever the reason her hunger to read that book was as intense as any 10 year old human could experience chapter 1 was called the first step choosing the right equipment in a short introductory passage it outlined the kind of material to be covered in the following 20 pages types of shovels picks gloves and so forth were itemized as well as the vital need to properly maintain them this grave digging was serious as papa flipped through it he could surely feel lisa's eyes on him they reached over and gripped him waiting for something anything to slip from his lips here he shifted again and handed her the book look at this page and tell me how many words you can read she looked at it and lied about half read some for me but of course she couldn't then he made her point out any words she could read and actually say them there were only three with three main german words for the the whole page must have had 200 words on it this might be harder than i thought she caught him thinking it just for a moment he lifted himself forward rose to his feet and walked out this time when he came back he said actually i have a better idea in his hand there was a thick painter's pencil and a stack of sandpaper let's start from scratch is also no reason to argue in the left corner of an upturned piece of sandpaper he drew a square of perhaps an inch and shoved a capital a inside it in the other corner he placed a lower case one so far so good 
A. Listen said. A for what? She smiled. Adverb. She wrote the word. He wrote the word in big letters and drew a misshapen apple under it. He was a house painter, not an artist. When it was complete, he looked over and said, Now for B. As they progressed through the alphabet, Rizal's eyes grew larger. She had done this at school, in the kindergarten class. But this time it was better. She was the only one there, and she was not gigantic. It was nice to watch Papa's hand as he wrote the word and slowly constructed the primitive sketches. Ah, oh, come on, Liesel, he said when she struggled later on. Something that stops with S, it's easy. I'm very disappointed in you. She couldn't think. Come on, his whisper played with her. I got Mama. That was when the word struck her face like a slap. A reflexive, a reflex grin. So much, she shouted, and Papa roared with laughter. Be quieted. Shh. We have to be quiet. But he wrote all the same and wrote the word, completing it with one of his sketches. A typical Hans Huberman artwork. Papa, she whispered, I have no eyes. He patted the girl's hair. She had fallen into his trap with a smile like that and Superman said, you don't need eyes. He hugged her, then looked again at the picture with a face of warm silver. Now for tea. With the alphabet completed and studied a dozen times, Papa leaned over and said, enough for tonight? A few more words? He was deafening. Enough. When you wake up, I'll play accordion for you. Thanks, Papa. Good night. A quiet one-syllable laugh. Good night, Salmonj. Good night, Papa. He switched off the light, came back, sat in the chair. In the darkness, Lisa kept her eyes open. She was watching the words. The smell of friendship. It continued. Over the next few weeks and into summer, the midnight class began at the end of each nightmare. There were two more bedwetting occurrences, but Hans Huberman merely repeated his previous cleanup heroics and got down to the task of reading, sketching, and reciting. In the morning's early hours, quiet voices were loud. On a Thursday, just after 3 p.m., Mama told Liesel to get ready to come with her and deliver some iron. Papa had other ideas. He walked into the kitchen and said, Sorry, Mama, she's not going with you today. Mama didn't even bother looking up from the washing bag. Who asked you? Arshlaw. Come on, Liesel. She's reading, he said. Papa handed Liesel a steadfast smile and wink. With me, I am teaching her. We are going to the Amper stream where I used to practice the accordion. Now he had her attention. Mama placed the washing on the table and eagerly worked herself up to the appropriate level of cynicism. What did you say? I think you hurt me, Usa. Mama laughed. What the hell could you teach her? A covered grin uppercut words. Like you could read so much, you softer. Kitchen waited. Papa counterpunched. 
me will take your eye on him for you. You filthy! She stopped. The words dropped in her mouth as she considered it. Be back before dark. We can't read in the dark, Mama, Liesl said. What was that, Somanj? Nothing, Mama. Papa grinned and pointed at the girl. Book, sandpaper, pencil. He ordered. And the accordion. Once she was already gone, soon they were on Himmel Street, carrying the words, the music and washing. As they walked towards fraudulers, they turned around a few times to see if Mama was still at the gate checking on them. She was. At one point, she called out, Liesel, hold that ironing straight. Don't crease it. Yes, Mama. A few steps later, Liesel, are you dressed warm enough? What did you say? Some wench recognized, you never hear anything. Are you dressed warm enough? It might get called later. Around the corner, Papa bent down to do a shoelace. Liesel, he said, could you roll me a cigarette? Nothing could give her greater pleasure. Once the ironing was delivered, they made their way back to Ampere River, which flanked the town. He walked, it worked its way past, pointing in the direction of the cow, a concentration camp. There was a wooden plank bridge. They sat maybe 30 meters, meters down from it, in the grass, writing the words and reading them aloud. And when Darfur was near, hands pulled out the accordion. Lisa looked at him and listened, though she did not immediately notice the perplexed expression on her papa's face that evening as he played. Papa's face. He traveled and wondered, but it disclosed no answers. Not yet. There had been a change in him, a slight shift. She saw it, but didn't realize until later when all the stories came together. She didn't see him watching as he played, having no idea that Hans Huberman's accordion was his story. In the times ahead, that story would arrive at 33 Himmel Street in the early hours of morning, wearing ruffled shoulders and a shivering jacket. It would carry a suitcase, a book, and two questions. A story. Story after story. Story within story. For now, there was only one as far as Liesel was concerned, and she was enjoying it. She settled into the long arms of grass lying back. She closed her eyes and her ears held the notes. There were, of course, some problems as well. A few times, Papa nearly yelled at her. Come on, Liesel, he would say. You know this word. You know it. Just when Flocker seemed to be falling well, somehow things would become lodged. When the weather was good, they would go into the amper in afternoon. In bad weather, it was the basement. This was mainly on account of Mama. At first, they tried in the kitchen, but there was no way. Rosa, Hans said to her at one point, quietly his words cut through one of the sentences. Could you do me a favor? She looked up from above the stove. What? I'm asking you. I'm begging you. Could you please shut your mouth for just five minutes? You can imagine the reaction. They ended up in the basement. There was no lighting there, so they took a kerosene lamp. And slowly, between school and home, from river to the basement, from the good days to the bad, Liesel was learning to read and write. Soon, 
पापा तुम थे यू विल बी एबल टू रीड दैट ऑफुल ग्रेव्स ग्रेव्स बुक विद योर आईज क्लोज्ड एंड आई कैन गेट आउट ऑफ दैट मिडजेट क्लास शी स्पोक दिस वर्ड्स विद ग्रिम काइंड ऑफ ओनरशिप इन वन ऑफ देयर बेसमेंट सेशंस पापा डिस्पेंस्ड विद द सैंडपेपर इट वाज रनिंग आउट फास्ट एंड पुल्ड आउट अ ब्रश देयर वर फ्यू लक्जरीज इन रिबरमैन हाउसहोल्ड there was an over supply of paint and it became more than useful for Lisa's learning papa would say a word and the girl would have to spell it aloud and then paint it on the wall as long as she got it right after a month the wall was recoated a fresh cement face some nights after working in the basement Lisa would sit crouched in the bath and hear the same utterances from the kitchen you stink mama would say to her like cigarettes and kerosene Sitting in the water, she imagined the smell of it, laughed out on her papa's clothes. More than anything, it was the smell of friendship, and she could find it on herself too. Lisa loved that smell. She would sniff her arm and smile as the water cooled around her. The heavyweight champion of the schoolyard. Summer of '39 was in a hurry, or perhaps Lisa was. She spent her time playing soccer with Rudy and the other kids on Himmel Street, a year-round pastime, taking ironing around town with Mama and learning words. It felt like it was over a few days after it began. In the later part of the year, two things happened. September to November, nineteen thirty-nine. One, World War Two begins. Two. Lisa Mumingo becomes the heavyweight champion of the schoolyard. The beginning of September. It was a cool day in Morkin when the war began and my workload increased. The world talked it over. Newspaper headlines were veiled in it. The furious voice roared from German radios: "We will not give up. We will not rest. We will be victorious. Our time has come." The German invasion of Poland had begun, and people were gathered everywhere listening to the news of it. Munich Street, like every other main street in Germany, was alive with war. The smell, the voice, rationing had begun a few days earlier. The writing on the wall, and now it was official. England and France had made their declaration on Germany to steal a face from Hans Huberman. The fun begins. The day of announcement, Papa was lucky enough to have some work. On his way home, he picked up a discarded newspaper and, rather than stopping to shove it between paint cans in his cart, he folded it up and slipped it beneath his shirt. By the time he made it home and removed it, his sweat had drawn the ink onto his skin. The paper landed on the table, but the news was stapled to his chest, a tattoo. Holding the shirt open, he looked down in the unsure kitchen light. What does it say? Is the last him? She was looking back and forth from the black outlines on his skin to the paper. Hitler takes Poland, he answered, and Hans Huberman slumped into a chair. Germany over everything, he whispered, and his voice was remotely patriotic. It's not remotely patriotic. The face was there again, his accordion face. There was one. That was one war started. Lisa would soon be in another. 
nearly a month after school resumed, she was moved up to her rightful year level. You might think this was due to her improved reading, but it wasn't. Despite the advancements, she still read with great difficulty. The sentences were strewn everywhere. Words fooled her. The reason she was elevated had more to do with the fact that she had become disruptive in the younger class. She answered questions directed to other questions and called out. A few times, she was given what was known as the watch-in. A watch-in in the corridor. A definition. Watch-in means a good hiding. She was taken up, put in a chair at the side, and told to keep her mouth shut by the teacher, who also happened to be a nun. At the other end of the classroom, Rudy looked across and waved. Lisa waved back and tried not to smile. At home, she was well into reading the grave digger's handbook with Papa. They would circle the words she couldn't understand and take them down to the basement next day. She thought it was enough. It was not enough. Somewhere at the start of November, there were some progress tests, tests at school. One of them was for reading. Every child was made to stand at the front of the room and read from a passage the teacher gave them. It was a frosty morning, but bright with sun. Children scrunched their eyes, a halo, surrounded the grim reaper nun. Sister Maria. By the way, I like this human idea of the grim reaper. I like this guy. It amuses me. In the sun-heavy classroom, names were rattled out, rattled off at random. Waldenheim, Lehman, Steiner. They all stood up and did the reading, all at different levels of capability. Rudy was surprisingly good. Throughout the test, Liesel sat with a mixture of hot anticipation and excruciating fear. She wanted desperately to measure herself, to find out once and for all how her learning was advancing. Was she up to it? Could she even come close to Rudy and the rest of them? Each time, Sister Maria looked at her wrist. At her wrist, a string of nerves tightened in Liesel's ribs. It started in her stomach, but had worked its way up. Soon it would be around her neck, thick as rock. When Tommy Mueller finished his mediocre attempt, she looked around the room. Everyone had read. She was the only one left. Very good, Sister Maria nodded, pursuing the list. That's everyone. What? No, a voice practically appeared on the other side of the room. Attached to it was a lemon-haired boy whose bony knees knocked his pants under the desk. He stretched his hand up and said, Sister Maria, I think you forgot Liesel. Sister Maria was not impressed. She plonked her folder on the table in front of her and inspected Rudy with sighed disapproval. It was almost melancholic. Why, she lamented, did she have to put up with Rudy Stainer? He simply couldn't keep his mouth shut. Why? God, why? No, she said with finality. Her small belly leaned forward with the rest of her. I'm afraid Liesel cannot do it, Rudy. The teacher looked across for confirmation. She will read for me later. The girl cleared her throat and spoke with quiet defiance. I can do it now, sister. The majority of other kids watched in silence. A few of them performed the beautiful childhood act. Of snickering. The sister had had enough. No, you cannot. What are you doing? 
Punisil was out of her chair and walking slowly, stiffly toward the front of the room. She picked up the book and opened it to a random page. All right then, said Sister Maria. You want to do it? Do it. Yes, sister. After a quick glance at Rudy, Lisa lowered her eyes and examined the page. When she looked up again, the room was pulled apart, then squashed back together. All the kids were mashed right before her eyes, and in a moment of brilliance, she imagined herself reading the entire page in faultless fluency for triumph. A keyword, imagined. Come on, Lisa. Rudy broke the silence. The book thief looked down again at the words. Come on, Rudy mouthed it this time. Come on, Lisa. Her blood loudened. The sentences blurred. The white page was suddenly written in other, another tongue. And it didn't help that tears were now forming in her eyes. She couldn't even see the words anymore. And the sun. That awful sun. It burst through the window. The glass was everywhere and shone directly onto, onto the useless girl. It shouted in her face, You can steal a book, but you can't read one. It came to her, a solution. Breathing. Breathing. She started to read, but not from the book in front of her. It was something from the Grave Digger's Handbook, Chapter 3. In the event of snow, she had memorized it from her papa's voice. In the event of snow, she spoke. You must make sure you use a good shovel. You must dig deep. You cannot be lazy. You cannot cut corners. Again, she sucked in a large clump of air. Of course, it is easier to wait for the warmest part of the day. When? It ended. The book was snatched from her grasp and she was told, Lisa, the corridor. And she was given a small portion. She could hear them all laughing in the classroom because Sister, Sister Maria's striking hand. She saw them, all those mashed children, grinning and laughing, bathed in sunshine, everyone laughing but Rudy. In the break, she was taunted. A boy named Ludwig Schmeichel came up to her with a book. Hey, Liesel, he said to her. I'm having trouble with this word. Could you read it for me? He laughed, a ten-year-old, smugness laughter. You idiot! Clouds were filling in now, big and clumsy, and more kids were calling out to her, watching her see. Don't listen to them, Rudy advised. Easy for you to say, you're not a stupid one. Nearing the end of the break, the tally of comments stood at 19. By the 20th, she snapped. It was Schmeichel, back for more. Come on, Liesel, he stuck the book under her nose. Help me out, will you? Liesel helped him out, all right. She stood up and took the book from him. As, as he smiled over his shoulder at some other kids, she threw it away and kicked him hard as she could in the vicinity of the groin. Well, as you might imagine, Ludwig Schmeichel suddenly buckled and on the way down he was punched in the ear when he landed he was set upon and when he was set upon he was slapped and clawed and obliterated by a girl who was utterly consumed with rage his skin was so warm and soft her knuckles and fingernails were so frighteningly tough despite their smallness 
You sucker! Her voice, too, was able to scratch him. You asshole! Can you spell asshole for me? Oh, how the clouds stumbled in and assembled stupidly in the sky. Great obese clouds, dark and plump, bumping into each other, apologizing, moving on and finding room. Children were there, quick as, well, quick as kids gravitating towards a fine fight. A stew of arms and legs, of shouts and cheers, grew thicker around them. They were watching. They were watching Liesel Meminger give Ludwig Schmeichel a hiding of a lifetime. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, a girl commendated with a shriek. She's going to kill him. Liesel did not kill him, but she came close. In fact, probably the only thing that stopped her was the twitchingly pathetic, grinning face of Tommy Muller. Still crowded with adrenaline, Liesel caught sight of him smiling with such absurdity that she dragged him down and started beating him up as well. What are you doing? he wailed, and only then, after the third or fourth slap and a trickle of bright blood from his nose, did she stop. On her knees, she sucked in the air and listened to the groans beneath her. She watched the whirlpool of faces left and right, and she announced, I am not stupid. No one argued. It was only when everyone moved back inside and Sister Maria saw the state of Ludwig Schmeichel that the fight resumed. First, it was Rudy and a few others who bore the brunt of suspicion. They were always at each other. Hands! Each boy was ordered, but every pair was clean. I don't believe this, the sister muttered. It can't be. Because, sure enough, when Lisa stepped forward to show her hands, the Ludwig Schmeichel was all over them, rusting by the moment. The corridor, she stated for the second time in that day. For the second time, that hour, that hour actually. This time, it was not a small watching. It was not an average one. This time, it was the mother of all corridor watchings. One sting of the stick after another, so that Liesel would barely be able to sit down for a week. And there was no laughter from the room, more the silent fear of listening in. At the end of the school day, Liesel walked home with Rudy and the other's teenage children. Nearing Himmel Street, in a hurry of thoughts, a culmination of mystery swept over her, the failed recital of the gravedigger's handbook, the demolition of her family, her nightmares, the humiliation of the day, and she crouched in the gutter and wept. It all led here. Rudy stood there next to her. It began to rain, nice and hard. Kurt Steiner called out, but neither of them moved. One sat painfully now among the falling chunks of rain, and the other stood next to her, waiting. Why did he have to die? she asked. But still, Rudy did nothing. He said nothing. When finally she finished and stood herself up, he put his arm around her, best buddy style, and they walked on. There was no request for a kiss, nothing like that. You can love Rudy for that, if you like. Just don't kick me in the eggs, that's what he was thinking. But he didn't tell Liesel that. It was nearly four years later that he offered that information. 
who now Rudy and Little made their way onto Himmel Street in the rain. He was the crazy one who had painted himself black and defeated the world. She was the book thief without the words. Trust me, though, the words were on their way. And when they arrived, Liesel would hold them in her hands like the clouds and she would bring them out like rain. Part 2 The Shoulder Shrug Featuring A Girl Made of Darkness the joy of cigarettes, a town walker, some let dead letters, Hitler's birthday, 100% pure German sweat, the gates of thievery, and a book of fire. A girl made of darkness, some statistical information. First stolen book, January 13, 1939. Second stolen book, April 20th. 1940. Duration between said stolen books 463 days. If you were being flippant about it, you would say that all it took was a little bit of fire, really, and some human shouting to go with it. You would say that was all Liesel Meminger needed to reprehend her second stolen book, even if it smoked in her hands, even if it lit her ribs. The problem, however, is this. This is no time to be flippant. It's no time to be half-watching, turning around or checking the stuff because when the book thief stole her second book, not only were there, there many factors involved in her hunger to do so, but the act of stealing it triggered the crux of what was to come. It would provide her with a venue for continued book thievery. It would inspire Hans Huberman to come up with a plan to help the Jewish fist fighter. And it would show me once again, that one opportunity leads directly to other. Just as risk leads to more risk, life to more life, and death to more death. In a way, it was destiny. You see, people may tell you that Nazi Germany was built on anti-Semitism, a somewhat overzealous leader and a nation of hatred bigots hatred bigots and it would all have come to nothing had the Germans not loved one particular activity but it would all have come to nothing had the Germans not loved one particular activity to burn the Germans loved to burn things shops synagogues wheat stacks houses personal items slain people and of course books they enjoyed a book good book burning all right which gave people who were partial to books the opportunity to get their hands on certain publications that they otherwise wouldn't have one person who was that way inclined as we know was a thin bond girl named lisa Meminga. she may have waited for 63 days but it was worth it at the end of the afternoon that had contained much excitement much beautiful evil one blood-socked angle and a slap from his trusted hand, Liesel Meminga attained her second success story. The shoulder shrug. It was a blue book with red writing engraved on the cover, and there was a small picture of a cuckoo bird under the title, also red. When she looked back, Liesel was not ashamed to have stolen it. On the contrary, it was pride that, was, that more resembled that small pool of felt something in her stomach. 
and it was anger and dark hatred that had fueled her desire to steal it. In fact, on April 20th, the Bureau's birthday, when she snatched that book from beneath a steaming heap of ashes, Liesel was a girl made of darkness. The question, of course, should be why? What was there to be angry about? What had happened in the past four or five months to culminate in such a feeling? In short, the answer travelled from Himmel Street to the Pura to the unquietable location of her real mother and back again. Like most misery, it started with apparent happiness.